SQL Down Under is a podcast for professionals working in the SQL Server community. SQL Server is a trademark of Microsoft Corporation. Opinions expressed during the podcast are individual opinions and may not reflect the opinions of SQL Down Under or of Microsoft Corporation. Introducing show number 28 with guest Ed Lehman. Our guest today is Ed Lehman, who is a principal lead PM of community projects for SQL Server. He and his team run SQL Server's MVP program, community source projects, and customer feedback channels. Welcome, Ed. Thanks. First up, as I do with everyone, I'll get you to describe how did you ever come to be involved with SQL Server? Well, actually, as a product, my first involvement with SQL Server was a long time ago, uh, prior to Microsoft when I worked for Nestle Foods, and we started introducing SQL Server and some small decision support systems. But um, at Microsoft, I joined the SQL team about five years ago to run um, our first TAP programs. Yeah. And I'll- since then... I suppose Pardon we me? should define what TAP is for. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, TAP is Technology Adoption Programs. Yeah. Uh, they were formerly known as Early Adopter Programs. Now we call them TAP, TAP programs. Um, since then, I've taken on the MVPs and community, yeah. and also newly our samples development. Oh, okay. So I hadn't even caught up with you were doing samples development really so much. That's great. Mm-hmm. The, and so how long was it you said you've been at Microsoft now? I've been at Microsoft for 13 years now. Okay, so yeah, no, that, that counts as a while. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I started out at Microsoft actually in IT and uh, spent a few years in support for Premiere and uh, then moved over to SQL. That's great. Well, it seems to be a pretty dynamic time for the SQL team at present. Mm-hmm. Uh, and particularly this year with a, a release uh, coming up fairly soon. The One of the things that is always stressed as being important in that is the whole feedback channel. And over the years, that's changed a bit as to how that works. Or we used to have the old SQL Wish email list where we'd send off things and then really not hear all that much back from there usually. But mm-hmm. it's sort of moved into a more formal process now. And so maybe if you could just talk about how people do provide feedback. Yeah, I mean, I like to think back to the old SQL Wish days and, and compare where we are uh, back then, and I would say you're, you're absolutely accurate. We had, uh, I think over the life of SQL Wish, we had about 5,000 requests that came in, and as far as being able to understand what we really did with those, the knowledge, you know, exists in somebody's email and in somebody's head. Yeah. With the Connect system, We're at a whole different world where people can go to the Connect site, which is connect.microsoft.com, WAC SQL Server. Um, And on there, there's they can submit feedback. They can submit feedback on products that have shipped or products that are currently in uh, CTP phase. Everything that they submit, whenever they submit an item, they say, I have a suggestion, I have a feedback, or I have um, 
a bug. And regardless of which they choose, it creates a work item directly in our bug database. So the dev team gets essentially a bug log directly for every time a customer says they, they see a bug. Yep. And the, the, the developer side of the customer experience is actually embedded within um, Visual Studio Team Services, which is what we use to manage our bugs. So developers can go directly in when they're working on the bugs. They can converse back and forth with, with customers. Uh, they can resolve the items. They can explain the resolution, so on and so forth. Now, I suppose one of the things is a, a lot of things that will come up uh, will be suggestions really more than bugs necessarily. And maybe we should talk about there's also a rating system. Uh, yeah, okay. So it, there's, a, there's a voting system, and, and you are correct. We look at or I look at um, the top voted items on a weekly and on a monthly basis. And I'm happy to say that we get a lot more votes on suggestions than we do on bugs, which makes me feel good that people yeah. are more passionate about the positive things we should do with our product. Yeah. Those, the, pardon me? Vote, the voting is the little, uh, if people go to the site, there are little stars up the top left. Mm-hmm. And we get votes, you know, if, if you look at some of our su suggestions, we get votes in the hundreds. So hundreds of people will say, I want this. Um, of course, that does not guarantee that it makes it into the product. What it does is it guarantees that we will give it more attention than something that, that got one vote. So you can, you can bet that the developer is going to have to explain why he's doing what he's doing with a suggestion, with regard to a suggestion that, is, that has 100 votes, versus, you know, if there's just one person who has suggested something, developer will make a decision, he'll move on, and it won't really be necessarily examined any further. So it's really a question of how much exposure it gets within the business unit. I suppose one of the discussions around the voting is that uh, the, the feeling I get is that there's a relatively small number of people who do most of the voting. And I suppose one of the challenges is uh, how you get more people exposed to the suggestions uh, to make sure that you get a much wider variety of voting happening. Mm, I, you know, it's funny. I haven't... I've heard people say that. I would say if there's a small number of people doing the voting, I know who those people are, and there are MVPs. Um, and I don't know that I'd say that's a, that's a huge problem from our perspective. Yeah. That's good. The um, Once, uh, I, I suppose when people look at the ratings, and we see the sort of numbers there, so things up around 100, you're saying, are very high-voted items, and... So when people look at scale, so things that are already up in the 40s and 50s are starting to be things that are important. I must admit, I do notice that some of the things I've put up there that I think, I think myself, yeah, this is bleedingly obvious. This would be really, really good. And yeah, there is a natural tendency. You do see the votes start to come in on those sort of things. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I, and I should point out um, the different scales between um, the suggestions and the bugs. So for a bug, if we see a count up in uh, the high teens or 20s or higher, that's a count that deserves notice for us. I mean, yeah. we look at everything. But 
as far as making our top five or our top ten, if it's got, you know, more than 15 votes, it's probably in our top ten list. Yeah. No, that's great. And I suppose the other question that comes up then is, with the different phases of the product cycle, uh, what is the point at which you can have most impact with suggestions? Um, I think suggestions, when you, when you say when you can have the most impact, it depends on the scope of the suggestion. Um, and I would say at some level, it's somewhat independent. I mean, if you look late in the, the CTP cycle where we are now, I can tell you that the odds of a suggestion making it into CatMy are lower than the odds of a bug making it into CatMy, or SQL 2008, pardon me. Um, and the bar is very high for either one right now. Yeah. Um, a couple of CTPs ago, if you had a suggestion that was um, that was a small amount of work, there would be a chance if it was very high voted that it would make it in. Yep. But anything larger than that, you'd be looking at CatMy plus one. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, that, that, that's good, though. I mean, that gives a feel for... Now, I'm just sort of... One of the uh, the most recent podcasts we did, I had uh, David Campbell on the program, and he was talking about how the new CTP build process and everything is working. Uh, mm -hmm. Given the fact it's sort of ramped up this time, I, I'm, I get the feeling that it'll become a more consistent thing on an ongoing basis. And so th there's probably less uh, emphasis on certain phases of the build at that point. Uh, you mean in terms of suggestions, or yeah. I'm not sure what yes. you mean exactly? Yeah, I was meaning in terms of when you make suggestions, because it, it looks like they're just going to have lots of improvements that just keep rolling over long periods of time. Right. So then the the time at which you make a suggestion, that's where you're going, Yeah. Um, doesn't matter as much because we're not looking at another five years before we have another release of the product. Yeah. Yeah, and, and that, I think that's what I was sort of getting at is that the uh, previously there'd be a planning phase, no doubt, and then and then a hurried lot of work from that point on. But right. the feeling I get now is that there's a, a continuous progression of things uh, appearing in the product, and so there'd probably be slightly less emphasis on that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. That's, that's fair. And the, the other thing that's happening over time is um, as our processes improve and the CTP process becomes more mature and the, and the processes behind that, you know, the CTP um, process is really the public face of a whole new engineering process we have, which I'm guessing Dave talked about. Yeah. And the way that we incorporate customer feedback into that has evolved significantly as we've gone through CatMy, and I would expect that to be in much better shape in CatMy Plus One. You know, if you think about our evolution, back in Yukon, the things that made it into Yukon primarily came out of SQL Wish, which yeah. was fairly random in retrospect. The things that are going into CatMy came out of the, the first evolution of Connect. The things that go into CatMy Plus One, I think, is going to be much more predictable what goes into Connect and what you see as a result in the product. Yeah, that's excellent. The now another so that's 
the Connect site, and so with that we can have bugs and suggestions. The the other thing I do notice is that over time we do get feedback from the developers and people involved, and uh, so if anybody submits suggestions, you'll notice that sometimes it takes a while before you'll hear anything, but uh, sometimes it's quite immediate. Uh, but invariably, there's always a process where it seems to get followed up and somebody starts responding back to you on it. Mm-hmm. The, um, the expectation that we have for our developers is that they respond a minimum of two times in the life of either a suggestion or, or a bug. The first time is to acknowledge the, the, the feedback from the customer and kind of explain our first take on it, you know, yeah. I've seen this before. This is a great suggestion, but it's going to take a long time, or you know, something that that kind of gives the customer. Man, this is this is kind of their initial response. And then, at a minimum, once we resolve the item, is to explain again what we've done with that item. Yeah. Now, with the Connect site itself, um, have, have you got a vision as to where you think that's heading, or um, the way you might like to see it evolve at all? Um, Connect is the vision for Connect is is a Microsoft level vision. Yeah. Um, I can tell you our vision for Connect is to expand the Connect experience to be more collaborative um, for some of the the deeper engagements we have with our customers, and that's uh, around MVP engagement and around our CAP customers as well. Yeah. Yeah. That's so good. that's really. That's the future of what I see for Connect for us. Yeah. Well, look, that leads us on to the MVP program, which uh, you're also uh, heavily involved with in in the SQL Server area. Uh, mm-hmm. While it's the MVP program itself is a little more familiar in uh, many of the developer areas, uh, in the SQL Server area, it's still uh, I. I constantly find people not aware of it at all. So maybe in your own, mm. it's just the, the role of the MVP program and, and where you see it fitting in. Sure. Uh, the MVP program is um, it's a recognition program, which we use to recognize, um, in SQL's case, over 200 top uh, people who give back to the community on, on a regular basis. And, uh, and on a significant basis. What it does is it provides them with um, sort of a brand that they can leverage in their daily lives. So um, it's, uh, I believe it is a coveted brand that, that people can uh, use in their websites or if they're a trainer or in, in whatever business they're in. Yeah. And what it does on a day-to-day basis with the SQL team is it gives them more exposure to developers, whether that's uh, influence on what you know, what their interests are and where we take the product, or in deep technical consulting, just face-to-face contact and wherever that goes. Yeah, I think what what's interesting with the program that a lot of people don't seem to realize is that uh, the the program is based on uh, previous contributions all the time. That that is a the most frequent confusion around the program, and it's it's not it's previous within a year, so um, the award when it the award is 
good for a year once someone gets it, and when we look at the next cycle, we look at their activities in the last year. So if someone has a year where they're busy on a, on a particular project and they haven't been able to participate in the community, they may very well not get the MVP award for a particular year, but then the following year, they'll be back in the program. So we do see some people go in and out of the program, and that doesn't mean that, you know, they're, they're on the bad list or, you know, we don't like them anymore or anything like that. It's just we recognize for any given year who are the top contributors in that year, and that's really what the program's all about. In, in terms of what are the sorts of things that you look at in terms of activities? That is, that is probably the second biggest mystique about the program. Um, the selection criteria, uh, they vary from posting in news groups to posting on forums to doing podcasts to speaking at user groups, to publishing books, to participating in SQL Paths, our, our largest organized community, to a laundry list of other things. There's, you know, any one thing done in, um, in a large volume could achieve someone the award. Um, doing a small number of things in a developing country could uh, achieve someone the award. So it's... it's uh, interesting set of criteria, and the decision is made not by a single person, but actually by a number of people at Microsoft. We have regional MVP leads, we have technology-oriented MVP leads, and then we have people like me in the product teams, and we get consulting from other people in the product teams as well. So it's a, it's a big, complicated process. Yeah. If you look at areas... Uh that you don't think are being covered well by the uh, existing MVPs, what would those areas be? I don't think... Uh, I would say opportunities for MVPs um, yeah. are in our developing uh, communities. So forums, our online forums, we started a couple of years ago with the release, or just before the release of Yukon, and uh, we see some MVPs active on the forums, but there's room for a lot more MVP uh, participation there. And then the newest community we're, we're growing, which is around CodeFlex, uh, there's a ton of opportunity there for MVPs to, to differentiate themselves. So maybe if we wander through the, the different areas there, because, again, surprisingly, uh, as I go around the database community, I find a lot of people not even familiar with the news groups and things like that, So uh, where they tended to have been more of a developer-focused things in years gone by. And so mm-hmm. maybe just if we talk briefly about the difference between the news groups and the forums. Yeah, sure. Well, news groups um, have been around for a long time. I'm not sure even how many years, but as, basically as long as I can remember. And um, they generally require that someone have a newsreader client, and we and then they talk to any number of servers that replicate uh, postings back and forth across the different server networks. Uh, we have about 20 Microsoft Public SQL Server news groups. They are um, they're a great ongoing community. Um, one of the things that anybody looks for in a healthy community is whether that community is self-sustaining. And the, the SQL Server news group community is, is very much a self-sustaining community. So people can post questions there, they can be confident that they're very likely to get a response, and that they're, and that, that response will contain great technical advice. 
Yeah. Uh, are there any of the existing news groups that you think are light on uh, in terms of assistance or, or needing assistance? Or do you think they're all well covered? Generally, I, th- I think they're all pretty well covered right now. Mm-hmm. That's good. And so then from there, there's then the forum. So the different structure there? There is a different structure there. So the forums are... Um, are new for us, so we have a, a set of forums that are forums.microsoft.com WAC MSDN, and uh, we are there amongst, uh, wow, hundreds of other forums, but the primary forums we focus on are SQL Server, and temporarily there's a set of SQL Server CapMy uh, forums up there. The technology is, is all web-based. Um, which tends to make it more approachable to less experienced users than the news groups. Yes. Um, it's, uh, but it doesn't have an offline experience, which makes it uh, less productive for experienced users. So there's, there's trade-offs between news groups and forums. Um, the other thing that the forums have is they have a richer data, data model uh, behind them so we not only can see whether a question has been responded to, we can see whether it's been answered. Um, we can move things around. We can delete things. Um, people have stronger identities. So when you post in a forum, you're actually posting with a live ID, whereas when you're posting in a, a news group, you have, uh, you know, you basically can say you're whoever you want to be. Yeah. Um, so, for example, when MVPs post to a forum, you will see that we have them identified as being an MVP, and the system does that automatically. Yeah. Where in news groups, I could go out and claim to be an MVP. Yeah, and in fact, uh, ironically, I've seen years ago uh, nasty situations where people were impersonating somebody else to make them look silly. Uh, that, that's bizarre sort of things that can occur on news groups. So. Yeah. Now, More of the Wild West than the yeah, forums. That's right. Indeed so. And if you look at the adoption rate of the forums versus the news groups uh, as to where that's sitting? Where that's sitting is for SQL Server in particular, um, a little while ago, the volume of questions being asked on the forums actually exceeded the volume of questions being asked on the news groups. So we do see a migration for SQL Server Going from the news groups to the forums, um, people will frequently say, oh, that means that SQL Server doesn't care about the news groups anymore, and, and that is absolutely not the case. Uh, news groups you know, still contains about 50% of the technical support conversations that go on out there, and uh, as long as that remains a, a vibrant community, that's a good thing for all of us. Yeah. Now, in terms of the forums, uh, do you think, again, they're all being covered effectively, or are there gaps in the forums? Uh, I, I can say that across the board, the forums are not being covered as well as I'd like to see them being covered. Um, going back to the self-sustaining uh, question, yeah. we have, you know, when we look at SQL developer participation in the communities, we have to make choices and uh, I have to make choices on the priorities that I try to, to set across the different development teams. Yep. In order to keep the forums healthy, we're prioritizing participation in the forums higher than, than I would like to, honestly, for the development teams, just because that's what it takes to keep them going. So as 
those mature and we see more community participation in the forums, I expect that we won't have to prioritize that quite so highly and, and you know, make some trade-offs with the development teams. So that's a, a general statement. I would say in particular, uh, reporting services, uh, for whatever reason, is hugely popular in the forums. And uh, our reporting services development team is a fairly small team, and it's, it's overwhelming for them. Yeah. So if anybody wants to find a place to participate, go go hunt on the reporting services forum. It's the one. Now, actually, you were saying a while ago that they were hiring somebody to help answer some of the things on that forum. That's correct. We have um, we have a vendor working out of Shanghai who started posting on the reporting services forum uh, in November. He started ramping up, and December was was the first full month. Um, I believe in December that person answered about 60 questions, uh, so they're still they're still ramping up. You know, we we look at this as a as a different thing, and um, it's really a question of how we do priorities um, in in business at Microsoft. The person that we're talking about reports through um, CSS or consumer support or customer support services. Pardon yeah. me. Um, historically. CSS has done posting in news groups uh, for a long time now. Yeah. And they just have not moved over into the forum. So really the hiring of this person represents CSS taking what they've always done in the news groups and starting to do it in the forums. Yeah. How do you see, uh, I suppose, with the uh, customer support folk posting in the forum uh, and the news groups, the, mm-hmm. uh, is there some conflict of interest there between offering paid support services and having them available to answer things on the news groups all the time for free? That is a constant struggle within CSS, and and I'm not the best person to uh, to address how they deal with that conflict. I'll talk to Bob Ward another day or one of the guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but but you're you're right. um, You know, I will say, if if you look at the end of the day and, and, you know, what makes the best sense for Microsoft? You get a ton of leverage out of people answering questions on forums. Yeah. And when you help somebody on the phone, you're helping one person. Yeah, I suppose one of the challenges also, though, is that when you do have the uh, product support guys there doing it, uh, the other thing is that the expectation from the person uh, that they're dealing with is probably higher as well in terms of... Um, relying on this being the Microsoft message that they're getting in response to anything. Uh, you mean when they're, when they're talking to someone on the phone? Uh, no, uh, literally when it's a, uh, a product support person answering in a forum or a news group. Oh, oh I see what you mean, yeah. And, and I, I would say that's true. Um, same would be true for any, any Microsoft development team person, yeah. and, and I hope it would be true for our MVPs as well. Yeah. No, indeed, that's great. Well, listen, that's a good point for us to take a break, and when we come back, and we'll talk about CodePlex and community source projects and those areas. Beautiful. That's great. Rest my mouth for a minute. <laughs> okay. As well as community resources such as this podcast, SQL Down Under offer mentoring services and both private and public training options. If you need to get your project back on track, or if you need to get it off to a good start, why not give us a call? 
We have also recently introduced a series of online courses available in both Asia-Pacific and US-UK time zones. In particular, the first course that's offered in this series is Query Performance Tuning. You'll find details at www.sqldownunder.com. Welcome back from the break. So, Ed, apart from the SQL Server life, uh, is there another life for Ed? (laughs) Yes, of course there is. Um, (laughs) My other life is mostly my family life. Um, I've been married to my lovely wife for 20 years now, and we have two kids. A son, 14, and a daughter, 9. And we are involved in... A number of things together. Um, my son is, is very sports-oriented, and uh, the family is, is uh, very involved in attending his sports events and uh, yes. rooting for the Seattle Seahawks. We will have a big Next. playoff game tomorrow. So we're all very excited about that. And then uh, my daughter and I both um, have a musical side as well. Uh, we both sing in choirs at our church. I sing in the, the adult choir that's about 130 voices, and she sings in uh, one of the lot, kids' yeah. choirs that's about 50 voices. And other than that, I'm pretty passionate about barbecuing. Um, what a great hobby. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Got to have a hobby you can eat. Uh, a buddy of mine and, and I were... Uh, Pacific Northwest Champions of uh, Barbecue Championship uh, back in the year 2000. Got to go compete in Kansas City. Uh, Came in with uh, the 15th best ribs in the country. So uh, Mm. that was fun. Just going is fun in in the first place. In fact, I've always been amazed how uh, keen Richard Campbell is on barbecuing, but uh, that that pales into insignificance uh, (laughs) when you start talking about competitions and things. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's a lot of fun, um, and um, a lot of hard work. You know, when you're talking about real barbecue, and we're not talking about grilling, but we're talking about you know having a smoker and making you know baby back ribs and uh, brisket and pork butt or pork shoulder. Yeah, that's awesome. The uh, I must admit, when I uh, used to live in Brisbane, uh, in sort of like the middle of a uh, the, uh, the eastern coast of Australia, the uh, barbecues and outdoor lifestyle was just the, the norm there. I mean, completely the norm. Uh, unfortunately, one of the things when I moved to Melbourne, uh, I, I thought I'd still be able to do that sort of thing, and I, I couldn't work out why people don't have much in the way of outdoor things. But incredibly, uh, we've got this thing with flies here that are just outrageous. Oh, really? <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, it's... it's uh, it's quite incredible. I, I, I had no idea until I moved here uh, just how many there were around the area. And, and I can see that's a really unfortunate thing for, uh, for when you want to do barbecues and things. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, I think so I'm almost trying to work out how I can do it indoors. <laughs> <laughs> just can't get the flavor indoors. Yeah. There's just no way. That's great. Well, listen, you said another thing that you're very keen on and uh, involved with at the moment is the CodePlex project. Now, uh, again, this is an area that uh, I mentioned to my wife, May, and uh, she said, what's CodePlex? Uh, And so that was, I think, a very typical response I'd get from a lot at the moment in the database community, Mm -hmm. Uh, not in the developer community, but uh, again, in the database community. So maybe 
descri- if you could describe Codeplex. Sure thing. Um, and, and actually, one of the things we're trying to do with Codeplex is, is bring more of the database community um, into the rest of the development, the development community. So Codeplex, the site, is Microsoft's open source or community source or community projects, whichever label you want to put on it, the site. Uh, the address is uh, www.codeplex.com. And what we're doing on the site is taking all of the, the intellectual property or, or the code that we've written for samples previously um, in previous versions of SQL Server, and we're releasing them as open source projects, as essentially the cornerstone of, an, of a community project's community on uh, the Codeplex site. So we have a, a SQL Server landing page that we've built on Codeplex, and that landing page is actually built into CapMy setup and built into uh, the CapMy client UIs as well. So there's a community menu on all the all the client UIs, and if you look on that, you'll find a link that goes out to Codeplex. And what you'll see there is a series of product samples, which are samples that are released as open source, but they're developed by Microsoft. So you, as a customer, can do anything you want with them that you would do with any open source project. But for some of our more conservative customers, they can be assured that the IP that's included in those is 100% Microsoft IP. So we try to get kind of the best of both worlds in, in that set. And included in that set is the AdventureWorks database. Yes, I've noticed uh, for anybody installing the CTPs, uh, that's, that's where they'd now go to get a copy of AdventureWorks to install. Mm-hmm. And, and happily, AdventureWorks is the second most popular um, site on all of CodePlex now. <laughs> so we're bringing a lot of traffic, uh, we're bringing a lot of database flavor to CodePlex along with this initiative, and, and I'm happy about that as well. So there's In fact, one that a lot of people uh, may not be aware of either uh, is that there's an AdventureWorks Lite up there now as well. There's a series of AdventureWorks database. So there's AdventureWorks OLTP, there's AdventureWorks Data, Data Warehouse, there's AdventureWorks BI, and now there's AdventureWorks Lite, which is yeah. simplified for, for people who aren't really looking for a, a super highly normalized enterprise-level schema. Yeah. What, what sort of key differences do you... Uh, I mean, you're saying not a highly normalized schema, but what are the, what are the real key differences with AdventureWorks Lite? That's, that honestly is really the key difference. It's just a, a smaller number of tables, a uh, smaller footprint, uh, simpler to understand for people who don't really want to deal with um, you know, highly normalized data. Are there schemas in that one? Uh, use of multiple schemas, do you know? I don't know yeah, that's, if it's we just another one out or not. Yeah, in fact, that's one I must go back and have a look at because uh, I just know the uh, one of the discussions that often comes around with AdventureWorks is the uh, extensive use of schemas, which, again, I find in a, a training environment quite good because it, it uh, reinforces the whole concept of uh, multi-part naming and so on. But, uh, again, some people find that a little overwhelming at first, so... Hmm. It's interesting. Um, you know, if I had a bet, I'll bet they're in there. Yeah. <laughs> but but it's, it's worth going and checking. Um, apart, apart from Microsoft-specific content, so I suppose you're saying there are things that are 100% Microsoft, 
So apart from that, what, what else do we have? What else we have is we have actually two additional categories of projects, and, and this is the way that, that we've chosen to lay our projects out on Complex. The first of which is what I'd call really a community gallery project. And that is a project that's, that's grouped roughly by our technologies. So we have a we have an AS community project, we have a, um, a service broker community project, T-SQL, and so on. And that is where people again who might be from Microsoft or or typically would be MVPs will post something out there that's not you know not something that's going to be a full-grown community around the project, but it's something that they think has worth to the general community. So it's kind of a collection place for smaller samples that may come from Microsoft outside of the release cycle or come from MVPs in the community. So that's kind of the second category. The yeah. third category is independent community projects. And those are projects that we or someone in the community is really betting on and trying to make into a successful community around a particular single application. And yeah. you'll see in those projects, for the specific project, a number of participants who are making check-ins, who are who are evolving the code, who are supporting the project, so on and so forth. Yeah. Can you give an example of the sorts of things that are there? The sorts of things that are there are um, a couple that are exciting to me is the Bids Helper, uh, which is a community-based project, and it is actually an add-on for BI Studio that brings additional functionality for people who who want to get more out of out of BI Studio. And I think that's a that's a really interesting way that we can evolve our tool set where you've got a tool from Microsoft and then you've got extensions by the community and they they work very well and, and seamlessly together essentially. Yeah. In fact, uh, it's, it's interesting you mention that because that, that's something I spent a while talking to David Campbell about in the last podcast. One, one of the things I, coming from a, a more developer background than a strict DBA background myself, uh, I, one of the frustrations I've endlessly found with the tool set is, is lack of extensibility points. Mm-hmm. The, uh, if I look at Management Studio, for example, uh, I think the group has taken a very conservative approach and, and, doesn't sort of uh, have a supported way for you to build add-ins and things for that. Yet the irony is that what you end up with is people using hacks, <laughs> uh, which is actually worse than than, uh, than than the original plan. So I'm just thinking that one of the things I really love about, uh, for example, you said Business Intelligence Development Studio, because that's in the standard Visual Studio shell, people can use the standard Visual Studio add-in mechanisms, the, the things from the vSIP folk, all, all that stuff just works. Right. Whereas we move to SQL Server Management Studio, again, there's no supported way for us to build things to drop in there. And uh, when I look at many, many of the things in the SQL group, in fact, one of the frustrations for me is that I feel like I'm endlessly the one in the room putting my hand up saying, how do I build one of those or uh, <laughs> whatever the thing is that's part of the product. Uh, because I find that when you have the extensibility points, you get a lot richer chance of building a community around the product. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm, I'm fascinated to think about what David's response to that is, and I'll have to go <laughs> listen to it. <laughs> Indeed. Oh, I, think, I think he was taking it on board. He, he was, again, thinking it came from a very conservative previous approach. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
and and uh, and like as you say, there are customers who only want Microsoft IP and so on. Uh, in and uh, that's often been the case. I, I heard uh, even Paul Randall's discussion where he was talking about um, things like backup compression in the upcoming version and said, even though there are lots of third-party ones available, some shops simply won't use them. Uh, they, they will only use what comes in the actual product itself. Right, and, and, and they have their reasons for doing so. Yeah. But, but others, you know, the, the people who want to extend the product and go with it, that's great. Now, I will say on the, on the management front, we do have another one of our independent projects out there, which is the SQL Web Data Administrator, yeah. which is a, a, a lightweight web-based administration tool that is, well, all of the source is there. So it is completely extensible and, and evolvable, yeah. and I'd love to see people get involved in that project. So that's, that's one of the ones we'd like to see more active. Yeah. Yeah, I must admit, I think uh, in my own area I've got a number of, I think what would be really nice add-ins to Management Studio, and as, as I said, it's just been frustrating not to be able to build those. And uh, and for that reason, I've actually turned some attention myself recently to building some add-ins for uh, Business Intelligence Development Studio because there is that supported mechanism for doing that. Mm. Um, but yes, I'd certainly love to encourage them whenever you get a chance to. <laughs> to <laughs> it'd be great because... Uh, uh, when I notice the sort of things that happen in, say, the ASP group and some of the others there, they tend to build publicly exposed interfaces up front and then build their own things attached to that, and then you always have the chance to replace things or drop other things in, and immediately entire little communities spring up around the whole thing. Right, and I'm, and we're starting to see that on the BI front, and and, I'm, mm. and I hope we see that in other areas as well. <laughs> That'd be great. That's good. Listen, one of the discussions that does come up, I suppose, uh, in that sort of area as well, I'm, I'm just thinking of where SQL Server sits. There's the endless discussion between whether it sits in an IT pro space or whether it sits in a dev space. And it becomes a real issue in the US this year where you've now got uh, tech ed split between both. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm just wondering, do you know... For the people who are looking at attending TechEd, is there a real preference either way as to which one? I mean, it's most it's fairly obvious for all the non-SQL folk, but for people involved in SQL Server, it becomes quite a difficult choice as to what to attend. Yeah, I know that uh, that my team, who who yep. is <laughs> looking at the at uh, the community projects and other community engagement, shares your frustration. And we have to decide yes. which one we want to go to, and we'll be covering <laughs> both of them. Ah, uh, uh, yes. You know, I, I would say SQL Server historically has this challenge of, yeah. of hitting both the developer side and the DBA side. And actually, one of the things we're trying to do with CodePlex is try to bridge that even more. Um, you know, whether, well, especially from the, the developer side, Nobody uses SQL Server by itself to do anything. SQL Server is always yeah. part of a technology stack or a development stack. And one of the cool things about CodePlex is we're out there on a site that's not exclusively SQL Server. So you yeah. can see projects that, that use SQL Server, that use other Microsoft products uh, to create total solutions. Yeah, no, that's that's excellent. The, uh, yeah, I think there's certainly a bit of a challenge for a lot of us anyway, um, coming, coming up is to decide what to attend there. And, uh, um, do you, do you know how that ended up 
um, at all in Barcelona where they had the same split as to which more of the sequel people attended? Is there any feedback on that? Um, I don't know. Yeah. No, I sort of, yeah, I must try and find out something about how that sort of ended up happening split-wise if, if that sort of detail appears. Because, yeah, it certainly becomes a bit of a challenge. So one of the things I look at with the community uh, is I find that the community around the SQL Server area uh, has a lot of real strengths, but there's a more of a breadth of offerings in the, in the developer side. Um, and one of the things I try and do myself is keep looking at things that work well in the development community that should work well in the SQL Server community and haven't yet happened. And mm-hmm. uh, when we start doing podcasts and all those things, that was uh, along the same lines. Do you yourself not see any other areas that you really wish the SQL community would move into that that you see other communities doing that we're not doing yet? Um, I would say, well, Codeblocks right now is the biggest priority where I'd like to see people get involved. Um, yeah. The other thing that I think is is difficult for SQL Server, and, and I think it's difficult across the board, is working with user groups. You know, SQL yeah. Pass, which is our, our primary organized community, uh, does a lot to support user groups. I, I still don't think it's easy, and uh, I, I know we need a lot more. So I'd be curious yeah. to hear, actually, from you, where you see some of the things happening in DevDiv that you don't see happening on the SQL side. Yeah, indeed. If I look at, um, th- there are certainly a, a few areas I'm, I'm looking at exploring a lot more, um, particularly uh, a lot of online uh, sort of audio visuals and samples and things that uh, I see so much of in the in the dev area, but I, I don't see in the SQL Server area. Uh, I I think with the prevalence of uh, broadband appearing all over the place, it really surprises me that more use hasn't been made, even in the products themselves, uh, of short video clips and things like that. Mm. Uh, if I look at, if I look at uh, products like, let's say, uh, something like, even like simple as Microsoft Word, I, I remember having a, a discussion with Rich Kaplan about this um, a couple of years back. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that amazed me, when I look at how somebody learns to use Word, invariably it's not reading the manual, it's not using the wizard, it's they get someone beside them and they say, how on earth do I do this? And then somebody shows them. Um, and it sort of strikes me that th- there's a there's a complete hole that could be filled there where if there was a, a standard little video viewer uh, with a known format built into the product itself, oh, interesting. Uh, and then you could say, how do I do this? And you could have now on demand one or two minute video clip just come down and show you how to do it. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I would think you'd find that uh, the MVP community would love to be the ones building all those little one and two minute videos where they're the person showing how to, to do a specific thing. Uh, and, and I'd love to see that sort of thing built into uh, again, even SQL Server. I'd like to be able, and this is the sort of thing I was talking about with extensions to Management Studio. I, I'd love to be able to right-click off databases, and when you go new database, to be able to add another thing that says "Show me how," uh, mm-hmm. and and just thing that that then on demand pulls down a little one or one and a half minute video that just shows you through the options. Um, 
because I, I think that's how people learn. I think they learn much more by being shown something than, than by going off and reading manuals. Yeah, that, that, that's very interesting. I think there are a number of things that could be done there. Um, one of the things that could be done is, is to do that within books online. And, you know, we've got the um, working with community extensions to the content, adding video content there would, would be a logical extension of that. Yeah. And I think in and a great the suggestion MVP... for you to go put on the Connect site, actually. <laughs> yes. Uh, in fact, and get I'm... all of the MVPs to vote for it. <laughs> I have talked to a variety of people about this, but uh, you've got me there. I didn't put it on the Connect site, that particular <laughs> one. Uh, but what uh, I have got a project with a colleague, Peter Myers, at the moment, another SQL MVP, and uh, we are looking at building a, a, a prototype of that at the moment for the uh, Business Intelligence Development Studio. Oh, as an uh, extension to bids. Interesting. As an extension to bids, yeah. And because uh, I think that would be a good proof of concept, and then hopefully I'll be able to sort of convince someone that if we could build that into Management Studio, <laughs> that would be nice as well. But yeah, I, I do think there's uh, so many other opportunities now coming because of the fact that uh, connections have become uh, a lot faster. And I think people don't necessarily want huge tutorials, but the idea of being able to get 30 second or one minute or a minute and a half. If I look at the popularity of YouTube, uh, it, mm -hmm. it's exactly the same size videos that we're talking about uh, in many cases. Oh, interesting. Uh, and I think it would be really good if there was a standard way to do that and standard resolution and standard everything so that it would, right. it would show up appropriately. Yeah. And also, and then you could do it in multiple languages and, and everything. So anyway, that, that's one of the little pet projects at the moment. So. Mm -hmm. that's, that's a pretty cool project. Even, <laughs> even the gallery itself could become popular. Yes, yes, indeed. As, as direct access, what's new, what's new in your language. Everybody yep. will be going to SQL Tube. <laughs> That's right, SQL Tube. <laughs> yes, I love it. <laughs> That's good. So, from here, so where will we see you, or what? What have you got planned in the upcoming months? In the upcoming months, uh, the next big thing for us is the MVP Summit. Um, yep. And that is that. I just love that event. Um, that is where we take all of our MVPs and we stick them in a room with with our development teams. And they spend this year uh, a full two days uh, dedicated to sessions between SQL Server teams and our MVPs and really talk about what are we doing, uh, what have we done in the, in the product that we're about ready to ship, and uh, what are we thinking in our upcoming priorities. And uh, you get some of the best feedback. Uh, we get our developers walk out of there and they just say, wow, you know, I, it's a whole new life when they spend time with the MVPs. And, and from what I see, the MVPs walk away saying, I, I feel like I really understand where the, where the product team's head is. And, and yeah. you know, I might not have changed their mind, but <laughs> at least I'm confident that they understand what I'm thinking now and, yeah. and where I'm coming from. So I, I love the MVP summit. And then, and then following that is... In uh, fact, sessions that you uh, organized for us at the last PASS conference uh, on a similar vein, I thought were yeah great great sessions, and it, it's sort of interesting that uh, one of the perceptions that again is a, a myth, but the perceptions in some of the external community is they see the MVP program almost sometimes like their Microsoft fan club or something like that, and and I and I always and I always think if those same people could just see what occurs in those sort of meetings, <laughs> they, they yeah. would change their opinion. 
Yeah, we, we, we have to close the doors not only for privacy, but uh, so that the yelling can't be heard <laughs> too far down the hallway. No, that's great. Actually, sadly, uh, timing-wise, um, for this one, I'm, I'm not going to get to make this one because I'm actually heading to the PASS conference in uh, in Germany. No, uh, yeah, that same. was unfortunate timing. That's such unfortunate timing, and so uh, I'm, I'm really excited about being at the PASS conference because actually doing the keynote with uh, one of the Microsoft guys, which would be just excellent there, but by the same token, uh, yeah, really, really sad about... Uh, at missing the summit because yes, I, th- I think it'll be an outstanding event. Outstanding, good. Indeed, and beyond that, we've then got the launch events coming up. I suppose have you got involvement with those? Right. Uh, so I'm, a, I'm a spectator mostly in, in launch events. Um, yeah. Launches coordinated mostly by marketing, from my perspective. Yeah, that's great. And then hopefully uh, we might catch you in uh, TechEd by the middle of the year or something like that. Yeah, we'll see, we'll see you around TechEd. And uh, the only other thing I wanted to mention is, um, you know, a last kick for Coplex. Um, the other thing we're, we're trying to figure out exactly how we approach this on Coplex is how we get um, more activity around um, the vertical space. So if you or any of your peers out there have ideas of, of what you'd like to see from us in a complex format um, around verticals, I'm, I'm all ears, and, and people can let me know their thoughts. What's the best way for people to let you know their thoughts, Ed? I can be emailed directly, edle, E-D-L-E, at Microsoft.com. That's outstanding. Well, thank you so much for your time today. Uh, it's a Friday afternoon for you and a Saturday, pleasant Saturday morning here for me, so it's, it's great. All right. But, uh, thank you so much for taking the time. It's uh, an, an interesting area of the, of the product that uh, we hadn't got to explore before. Okay. Thanks for having me, Greg.